The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We co-host Paint Suit Politics, a podcast seeking nuance in political conversation. Along the way, we've realized the rest of life is filled with nuance, too. So we come here each week to commemorate the moments in our lives, moments beyond birthdays, weddings, and funerals that deserve celebration. It's an opportunity to see ourselves in a new season and to reflect on the messiness of living wisely. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We have several special commemorations to share, and then we're going to do a deep dive on a commemoration that is a result of the shutdown, which might sound like pantsuit politics fair, but we decided to move it on over here and talk about it on The Nuanced Life. Before we dive in, we have less than a week. Before our book, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, comes out. So make sure and head out over to I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening.com and pre-order so you get access to all our pre-order bonus, including our class on how to survive family gatherings when there are difference of a political opinions and some really cool phone lock screens. We've got lots of goodies. So head on over there and make sure you've pre-ordered our book because there's less than a week to go. And we're so, so excited. We are celebrating with Elizabeth today that her daughters, who are 10 and 12, got their first babysitting jobs, which is awesome. She also has a daughter who started her period, and that is a big commemoration as well. And the family had dinner to celebrate all those things together. Congratulations, Elizabeth. I remember my first babysitting job. It was You felt like such a grown-up. It was such a big deal. That's one of the saddest things I'm actually... When I when I look back and I get in my gender disappointment space, I'm really sad I don't get to sort of celebrate with a daughter their first period because I think that's something that that has become more popular. I think it's really really important to give like teens and preteens this sort of passage into adulthood and to really commemorate that and make it a big deal. I was listening to On Being, and this is. Uh, this is connected, I swear, just go with me. And they were talking about Me Too and moving forward from Me Too. And this psychologist was talking about how so many men in his life say they still feel like little boys, like they sort of still feel like they don't feel like adults. And I think so much of that in our culture, that sort of imposter syndrome, some of it is systematic and patriarchy, and I don't want to get into that. But I do think some of it is we don't do a really great job of commemorating that passage into adulthood of saying, this is a big deal. This is why we're going to mark this special occasion. I'm super jealous of Jewish culture and the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah because I think that is such an important passage that we don't do a good enough job of marking. Quinceanera does that too, right? Like mm. I think I think you're right that traditions that really acknowledge this is a turning point for you are important. We try to talk about that with Jane in smaller ways. She cooked dinner the other night. And we talked about how special that was that she cooked dinner. And this is something that's really going to be with her throughout her life. You know, she's always going to need to be able to cook dinner. And how exciting that she started down that path. And what would she like to cook next? 
And so I think it's both that there are these seminal moments that we need to commemorate, the, the period, the transition out of puberty, whatever, and also that all along the way, recognizing that you don't flip a switch and become an adult. It's a series of events that show that your maturity level is rising and your ability to take on new responsibilities is increasing. That's why I think the babysitting jobs are so significant, too, because what a signal to a young person that we trust you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're also sharing a really lovely commemoration from Sarah, who just completed her first indoor triathlon. Um, first things first, I did not know that was a thing or I would have signed up a long time ago. So thank you, Sarah, for sharing that there is a thing called an indoor triathlon. That's really cool. She had been trying to set a goal to go to the gym more on a more regular basis and get into a regular workout routine. And so the race was a few weeks ago and she hit all her goals inside her timeframes and won the overall women's division. So that's really awesome, Sarah. Good for you. Triathlon is not a joke. That is Mm-mm. a very big deal. Good job, Sarah. Do you think that having framed up a goal like a triathlon is different from just, I want to do this every single day? Yeah, I think it's way easier. I think it's way easier to, not easier physically, but like when you have a goal that you're motivating yourself for and there's like an end point in mind. Although I do remember in Gretchen Rubin's book, she says you have to be really careful with endpoints because then you'll reach them and you'll be like, I'm done. I don't have to work out anymore. <laughs> but I've always found for myself when I have, an end point in mind that I'm that I'm working towards, especially something that's so fulfilling and you can really celebrate like a triathlon is really, really helpful. This is tangentially related, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot to the point of what keeps you maybe excited and accountable. On Sunday, my church had this discussion among parents about all of the faith formation activities that we have for kids. It was really great to take two hours to talk about that as a community of parents. I just thought it was a brilliant idea that the pastor at my church had. And one of the questions that she posed toward the end of the two hours was, okay, parents, what are you doing for your personal faith formation? And how do you make that visible to your kids? And I was like, ooh, this <laughs> is a tough one. Because I feel like I do lots of things for my personal faith formation, but none like that are, are visible to my children in the sense of here's mom taking time alone to kind of study and reflect. And it's made me realize that I really need some kind of mechanism for accountability around that. And I think that's something like a small group study. I'm not exactly sure what I'm looking for. But Sarah's email got me thinking about it more, too, because I could set the goal of like having some of that time every day or even once a week. There's not really an endpoint with something like that. And I certainly wouldn't want to communicate to my kids that there is. But I need something external to keep me accountable on that. I think that's a really difficult question. I mean, to me, with faith formation in particular, so much of it is community oriented. And my kids do see that. They see us going. Obviously, they see us prioritizing going to church and participating in our church community. They see us signing up for leadership roles within the church. And so I think, I guess I'm exhibiting sort of a more like community-based exercise of that, that they can see. I mean, when, when we try to really work to, I have a lot of prayer books, I guess they're called. I don't know. So, I mean, one of them is like a John O'Donohue, I think that's his name. Most people would probably see it as a poetry book, but they're blessings. And then I have several different sort of prayer books. So we always try to 
go through the prayer books and pray about certain things. Like I have a really cool prayer book that has like a prayer for the first snowfall and a prayer for the first time you light your fire and all these like really cool kind of commemorations, really, I guess. So I think that could look a lot of different ways. I think it can too. I And I agree about the community component. I do need to work on making the personal component more visible because I, I think that is an important component. And also, will you link that book in the show notes? Because I would like that book about the prayer for the first snowfall, please. And thank you. Oh, I have. I'm Listen, I'm, I've gotten quite a collection of books like that because I uh, love them so much. Like I have one that's all about transitions in life. And so there's like a prayer for retirement and a prayer for there might be a prayer for your first period. I don't even know. But oh man, I'm I'm into those. I love them so much. Yep. Links, please and thank you. <laughs> we also heard from Katie, who is commemorating her tracking of new recipes that she's baked this year. She said her family keeps having new food sensitivities and it is requiring some creativity. So she is ditching perfectionism and building up new things tried. And I love that phrase. Good for you, Katie. I love to track all the things. It's my favorite. My love of tracking truly knows no end. Movies watched, books read. I did a book, one of my favorite cookbooks, which is The Chocolate Cake Mix Doctor. And I made every single recipe in the book. And then I would, at the top, I would track, like I would write when I wrote it and for what occasion. And so it's like a little, it's almost like a little scrapbook. It's really nasty because it has like chocolate syrup and eggs and all kinds of stuff over it. But um, I love flipping through it and see when, seeing when I made which recipe. But um, listen, I think we all know how all in on tracking series. This is such a great one for us because you love tracking and I love baking. Katie meets <laughs> both of baking. us where we are. Baking is my favorite too. You're, it surprises me you like baking as much because I usually find people who like cooking don't like baking and vice versa. I just like being in the kitchen. I like the process. I like the sensory engagement. I love to measure. I love to figure it out on my own. There's just not a thing in the kitchen that I don't enjoy. I even like cleaning up the kitchen, to be honest with you. I like cleaning up the kitchen. I don't like chopping. Pass. Hard pass on all things chopping. I want to mention before we take a quick break that we have a listener who has become a good friend to both of us who got the news that his son's preschool is closing. Mm. And I think that is an important thing to commemorate. Because it is incredibly hard. If you've not been through losing your childcare, holy smokes. I can't even describe the feeling. I can feel it in my stomach as I'm talking about it because it is so scary and hard and upsetting and just, I think, takes your world off kilter. So I'm really thinking about their family. I shared with him that that happened to us two times and both times it was awful. I thought the world was going to end. We did end up in situations that, on reflection, I thought this was a really great move for us because developmentally, she was ready for a shift. And this gave us that shift, even though we we wouldn't have made it otherwise. That's not to make light of what he's going through. It is just to say, I just want to hold space around that transition because it is a really hard one. We're going to take a quick break and then share another commemoration and talk a little bit about the impact of the government shutdown on the personal side. We've talked about the political side on Pantsu Politics, but there is a lot on the personal side that we need to get into. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. 
entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Care of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. This year, make health and wellness a top priority with the help of Care Of's monthly subscription vitamin service, whether you're focused on glowing skin, boosting your energy levels, getting more sleep, or generally being healthy. Build a vitamin routine that's made just for you and your health goals. Do something good for your health in 2019. Care Of makes it easy to stick to your health-related resolutions. Care Of's fun online quiz asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices and takes only five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically-backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. I really love the quiz. I found vitamins and supplements that I had not heard of before, but that were very personalized to my specific concerns. And also, the little travel packs are mind-blowingly easy to pack when you travel a lot. So you just, there's a little pack for every single day you pull out of the care of box. It's beautifully designed. They have a little fun tip or question to ask yourself. And so when you're traveling, instead of being like, oh, how many days and put finding a container that will work, you just pull out your packs and you're ready. Take 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins by going to takecareof.com and enter life. That's takecareof.com, promo code life for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Christ for Disciplers is a daily podcast offering weekday messages for educators and parents of young disciples. Every day, Marissa gets her three kids in the car and strives for the energy to do everything she wants to do for her children that God gave her. She wants them to have love, peace, a great education, and be discipled for Jesus. There's never enough of everything to do this, but it seems time is what runs out first. She wants to make a change for the better and turn the corner to be the amazing woman God made her to be. If you ever feel like Marissa, consider trying what she found to be the source of daily spiritual strength, a daily 10-minute podcast designed for her in her role as a discipler of her children, Disciplers for Christ. In just 600 seconds of Christ for Disciplers podcast Monday through Friday, listeners get a blessing of peace, connected to a clear message from the Bible, and several ideas to use in our daily lives as parents. Marissa loves to share the message with dads and moms she knows and with her children's Christian teachers that are partners with her in discipling her kids. The Christ for Disciplers podcast is on iTunes and Google Play, Stitcher, and Podcast. Podbean and most other podcast providers. Subscribe today for Christ for Disciplers. That's Disciplers, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-R-S, a unique word for the mission of parents and teachers. Make sure to share this with other parents and teachers and make sure discipling your children doesn't take second place with just 600 seconds a day. You also can get connected by visiting ChristForDisciplers.com. Listen to the Christ for Disciplers podcast today and get the same wisdom that Marissa uses to bless the children in her life. We wanted to share Megan's email in entirety because we think it's such an important commemoration. Hello, Sarah and Beth. I'm a federal employee for the National Park Service, which means that I have been furloughed for nearly a month. I have carried a lot of pride in working for NPS, getting hired straight out of graduate school, technically before I even graduated, and landing a job in my field of archaeology, which is not an easy thing to do. While the National Park Service is difficult to get into, it may be equally difficult to stay in, as most of the jobs are temporary and you have to be willing to move all over the country to take another temporary job once your current term is up. It's a depressing reality that NPS employees face, but most are so dedicated to their work and to the Park Service mission that they are willing to do what it takes to stay in and hopefully land a permanent job someday. 
Then the shutdown happened. It's so demeaning to get the message that not only is your job not important, that the natural and cultural resources you've dedicated your life to protecting are not worth devoting resources to, but that you are a burden to the American people and a pawn for the president's whims. While my husband and I have enough in savings to make it through, the emotional toll of this furlough has been higher than I expected. And so even though I want so badly to stay in my field and do the good work of caring for our cultural resources, I have accepted a position with the Department of Health and will be ending my short career with the National Park Service. It was a difficult decision, but I have to do what's best for me and my husband and our ability to plan a future that doesn't involve drawn-out government shutdowns and one-year appointments that force me to constantly search for jobs. The anxiety is too high and the stability is too low. So today I'm commemorating the sad reality of letting go of a dream, but also the excitement of finally being able to plan a future that hopefully includes children, of putting down... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. ...and breathing a little easier. I am so sad that federal employees are reduced to this, and I hope and pray that it gets better. But in the meantime, I'm letting go and moving on. Much love, Megan. This breaks my heart. For all of us, right? For oh, Megan for and all for all of us. us. It makes me so sad. And I think it's important to recognize that there are folks serving our country who aren't directly employed by the federal government who are going through the same thing. So many people who are contractors are never going to get past what just happened, right? They're not going to get back pay. They're going to be set back for quite some time until they find a new way of being employed. And there's so much talent that we're not going to have in these jobs from people who really care about our society, totally independent of politics because of what we've just been through. Yeah. It makes me so sad that they went through this. It makes me so sad for the entire loss as a country that we're going to experience. I feel like Megan is not the only person who will make this calculus. And so we're going to lose so much expertise, so much passion. And I think it speaks to sort of the way in which politics and sort of the short-term drama of politics can really keep us from examining our priorities as a country. I think it's the same thing. It's the urgent overwhelms the important. I think that happens in a lot of areas in life. And what defines urgency mm -hmm. is an important question that we need to sort through as a country. I don't know if you've watched the newest episode of The Circus, Sarah. It's back for its new season. And they were interviewing, I think it was Mitt Romney, about what really caused the shutdown. And Mitt Romney said, I honestly think that it's ego and ego doesn't have a party in this, but there was just so much on the line in terms of whose fault is it going to be and who's going to be perceived as winning. For ego to drive a sense of urgency that has the effect that Megan is just describing is a really powerful lesson, I think, because you see that kind of decision being made outside of our government, too. Right. If you really look at organizations, any kind of gathering of human beings, how often does ego end up being the factor that creates urgency that then drives action that's really hurtful to people who are involved? I think it's just so much about our unwillingness and our discomfort with facing difficult realities 
holding difficult emotions, having difficult conversations, and in our desire to not do the hard things, we make everything harder. We make everything harder. We seem to have such a fear of losing. Mm -hmm. I think about this a lot when people talk about our conversations as being devoid of conflict. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you guys just don't disagree enough. I don't understand what the point is if you don't disagree enough. And I think that what we are willing to do is sometimes give way to the other one. You know, there are times when we end a subject and I still have things to say or I disagree with something you've said as we wrap up. But like, we just give way. Yeah. It's (laughs) It's not the last conversation we're ever going to have. It's not the last conversation. And I'm never going to be like, I really beat Sarah this time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I won this discussion. That's not the point. And I just realized, like, we don't have a lot of models for that because I do feel a sense, even in really tiny, seemingly inconsequential spaces in our lives, that the goal for everyone is how do I come out on top of what just occurred here? Yeah, I'm always shocked by people's desperate dislike. I don't know the word, the quite the word I want. When, when it comes to just saying, I'm sorry, or I got that wrong, it costs nothing. But people think it costs everything. I have no problem being like, oh, screw that up. I'm sorry. Like, it's just, to me, it's such an easy thing to do to reset the conversation, to get everyone like sort of on the same page, to look at things in a new way. Like, I wonder what the, what a different outcome it would be for all federal employees sort of doing the calculus Megan is doing right now. If the president or if Congress or if they just got a letter that said, hey, we're sorry, we know this took a toll on you and we're sorry. Like, I just hate that they feel like they were jerked around and not valued. And there's no moment for anyone to say, hey, I'm sorry, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I mean, other versions of that outside the government context, I'm not the right person to do this work. Mm-hmm. Someone else would be a better leader of this organization than I would be. That's not my talent, but it's yours. Do you mind to pick this up? I mean, there are just so many ways that I think we could integrate into our lives the gentleness of knowing where we fit into a picture and feeling comfortable about where we fit and understanding that all the other pieces belong to and that those pieces are as significant as we are. That's such a different view of life than this philosophy of like, I had to win the shutdown. Mm hmm. And I can't possibly apologize because what I did this for has to be so meaningful that it was worth all the collateral damage. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of it is just a, a orienting yourself in the world, either in a space where it's zero sum, where there, if I'm winning, somebody else has to be losing. If I value this or if I'm at the top, somebody has to be at the bottom. If I'm at the front of the line, somebody or if I'm being pushed back in line, somebody else is cutting me like This is very zero-sum outlook to the world as opposed to a more expansive view, a more relaxed view where if somebody else is doing good, that doesn't mean I'm doing bad. I mean, I always think of the phrase comparison is the thief of joy. So you can't be happy and mindful and present in where you are if you're too concerned about where somebody else is. And I think the next switch is like celebrating where someone else is. Mm Mm-hmm. We even talk about federal employees sometimes like they are taking something from all of us instead of contributing. That's 
that's not a great place to be America. <laughs> you know, like I don't mm-hmm. I don't know how we we got into such a frame of mind where we always believe that someone is trying to take from us or trying to screw us over. It influences our foreign policy. It influences the way we drive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just you see it all over the place and a lot of our conversations lately have kind of ended with can we just relax a little bit? But I think that's the right answer. We just need to relax a little bit. We aren't being looted as Americans. And living your life as though that's happening is going to result in all of us just putting up more barriers to connection. Yeah, absolutely. To the point where it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think that connection is what everybody's so afraid of. I think that you know, not to go full, full Brene Brown here, but I'm doing it. I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid or ashamed because that connection, in order to connect, you have to open up and acknowledge that you don't get things right and that you might be wrong and that you've screwed things up and you're flawed. And that's really, I mean, that's scary for me. That's scary for everybody, but it just, the more you do it, the easier it gets, but that's very hard to convey to somebody. It's very hard to say like, I know it's really scary, but the more you do this, the easier it gets. I wonder what it would be like if we all wished for that breaking down. Because I find myself wishing for that breaking down a lot right now, especially Mm -hmm. as you and I get into this different space where a lot of people don't know what to do when they know a person who's written a book. You know what I mean? Mm. I feel a sense of a lot of people kind of looking at me like, are you kind of a celebrity? Or, Or another thing that happens is like, well, I listen to your podcast, so I know you. And we don't. And so we have this relationship. We don't have anything else. But because I'm, you know, it's just we're in such a weird space because we're not like famous big deals, but we have this thing out there that's very public. And so I find that that creates some distance from people around me that is worrying for me. And I find myself just really desiring that sort of stripping away that happens when you're really close to other people. Yeah. And I wonder what it would be like if more of us had that sense of like, I really desire that stripping away. I mean, I think you see it with sort of leaders in the community. Whenever somebody knows you because you're an elected official or because you're head of a company or because you're on a podcast, if they know you through a role that you play in your life, then the entrance point to that relationship is based on something that inevitably you feel like you need to protect. You know, you need to protect their perception of you. You need to protect their perception of your company. You need to protect brand, whatever it is. And then that's going to shut down connection and vulnerability in a way, almost inevitably, I feel like, because we're not, you're not, You're not meeting me where I am because vulnerability and connecting with people is this is this moment where you're where of unknown. I don't know how you're going to react to me. You don't know how you're going to react to me, but we're going to try anyway. Well, when one person knows a lot about of the about the other person because of a role, then you're not coming in in the same way. Right. They're experiencing more vulnerability because you don't know them than you are. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's it's a disjointed entrant point to the conversation or relationship. I totally see what you're saying. And I think that can happen even when that's not the entry point. It's just something that occurs throughout the course of the relationship. Your friend, your really great friend gets a promotion. And now suddenly the roles 
have shifted in a way that makes you feel like the relationship has to shift with those roles. And sometimes it does, right? Because we have learned Mm -hmm. a lot about what happens when good boundaries aren't upheld around roles over the past few years. It's almost like anytime power walks through the door in some form, Mm -hmm. it really kind of eviscerates the opportunity to know someone in a genuine way. It reminds me of what you hear people say when they've lost a like dramatic amount of weight. When they lose a lot of weight, it really changes the relationship. I'll never forget someone on Oprah talking about how as they would lose more and more weight, like at first people were really excited for them and really supportive until they would hit that person's weight and then fall below it. And then that would change the relationship, like the other person's weight, which I thought was so fascinating. But it's it's a power shift for better or for worse, because of what our culture says about weight and appearance. And so when that shifts, I think it's exactly what you say. It like changes the power differential in the relationship. It kind of gets back to that that zero sum, like I have mm-hmm. to have the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Even in the physical contrast of our bodies, I want to be winning that. Yep. What? What? So America? Busted. Like, let's not do that. Well, I don't even think that's just America. I think that's everywhere. Yeah, and I think a lot of these things are, you know, but I think it's so prominent in American culture and it's just on my mind because of the shutdown because I really do think that what's at the root of it is less policy difference and more an unwillingness on anyone's part to say, you know, like we've been using the word caved. Everybody's like posting these memes if they're excited about the caving and then Ann Coulter is making fun of the president for being a wimp. Like it's just gross. Like what if it would what if we embraced you know what? This person was humble in this moment. This person mm-hmm. gave up something for the greater good. Instead this person punishing. governed with Megan in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's hard. I don't think that's coming anytime soon, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, I think conversations about it are important steps to getting there. And we hope that as you go through your week, whether you're parenting or governing or driving or in the workplace, that you can find some spaces for a little bit more gentleness. We will be back in your ears on Pantsy Politics on Friday and Tuesday, and then here again next Wednesday. We're recording our bonus episode today for The Nuanced Life, so head on over to Patreon if you aren't there with us. And thank you for joining us as always. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Nuance Life is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. The Nuance Life is listener supported. For $5 a month, you'll receive an extra episode of The Nuance Life at patreon.com slash The Nuance Life. You can connect with us on our website, thenuancelife.com, and follow us on Instagram.